Hello and welcome to Marketing Week Explores, your monthly analysis of the biggest issues in marketing. A slight change to the usual routine this month, it's December, it's the year's end, so it's traditional at this time of year to look back. This has been an eventful year in politics, in economics, and yes, in marketing, although the world of marketing doesn't move at the same breakneck speed as the daily drama around the Trump presidency and Brexit, there's been plenty to chew over in 2018. And that's what we're here to do today, make sense of the milestones in marketing this year, as well as give mind to 2019 and what is in store. My name is Russell Parsons, and I'm the editor of Marketing Week, and I'm here with two of my colleagues, Molly Fleming and Alan Hammett. Hello. Hello. And later, you'll be hearing from two of our regular contributors, Mark Ritson and Helen Edwards, for their takes on the year. Ellen, let me begin with you and your marketing moment of the year. My marketing moment of the year is more of a continuing moment than a specific moment. And I'm going to say it's the advertising industry taking more responsibility over advertising. So at the beginning of the year, we had the ban on junk food ads. More recently, we've had a bit of a crackdown on gambling ads. And then just last week, beginning of December, we've had the ban on harmful gender stereotypes. So it feels like... It's having a bit of a watershed moment. You know, it's all happened in 2018. It feel, I'm surprised it's not happened sooner and it feels like it's been a long time coming. But 2018 has been the year where, where the regulator and brands are actually starting to take action and take responsibility for their advertising. Why this year? Why is it? Why have so much happened in the last 12 months? So I think there's been a lot of changes in society and culturally and politically and you know the reporting of rising childhood obesity rates um, has probably instigated you know this tighter regulation around junk food ads in terms of gender we've had the me too movement and lots of people becoming more aware of sexism harassment and i think because people have started to take note of that, then the advertising has started to, to feel the impact. And brands are realising that they can't get away with what they perhaps thought they used to be able to get away with. Some of the, what you discussed is self-regulation, the advertising industry acting perhaps to take action without having any pressure to do so. Is some of what they're doing out of fear that they will be asked to and told to actually more specifically by government i think a lot of it is actually to do with the fact that people are willing to call brands out nowadays much more than they have been and you've got social media which has become completely democratized people have free speech you know just a single tweet can cause so much backlash against brands nowadays and i think they're very aware of that on top of the fear of regulation and being called out and no one wants to be on that that black book because it just makes you look behind the times outdated and like you're not playing a positive role in society and what's next after gambling after fast food and not sorry not fast food foods high in horrible things i think there is going to be regulation is only going to get tighter and stricter um i think brands are going to start have to think much more about the creative how they're advertising to people how they're marketing um and i think as i say with gambling there's not been a ban yet but i think there's definitely going to be some movement in that area um, in the year ahead so that's your marketing moment of the year 
what's your prediction? We've kind of touched on that a little bit already, but another prediction trend for 2019. So 2018 has also been the year when brands have started to fight plastic. Um, We've been calling it the war on plastic. And I think going into 2019, that's going to continue. Um, I think sustainability is going to be a huge, huge topic and at the top of lots of retailers and businesses' agendas, Um, especially, again, when we've had things like Blue Planet highlighting how detrimental this has been to our planet and the environment. And I think we're going to see a lot more brands taking responsibility and wanting to be seen like they're doing something. Is this brands fearing the consequences of not taking action on plastics, i.e. lost sales or poor perception? Or is it just a benevolent sense that they need to be part of a societal solution? I think it's a combination of both. Um, I think as people are becoming more aware of the environment and waking up to issues around sustainability and the impact that businesses are having on on the planet. I think brands are feeling the pressure because again, they're gonna be called out if they're not seen to be doing something. But at the same time, I do think that a lot of businesses care about the footprint that they're leaving um, on the environment. Bringing you in, Molly, a seamless segue as if we'd rehearsed this previously for your marketing moment of the year I believe it's related yeah I decided to choose the crackdown on plastics I kind of agree with Ellen that there'll be much more in the years to come but at the beginning of this year Iceland removed plastic packaging from its own label products while committed to it by 2023 and since then it just seems to have been brand after brand you look at Coca-Cola, Unilever, Walkers um, all pledge to reduce their plastic by either 2020 or 2025 and I think it's been incredible to see brands actually I was gonna say put their money where their mouth is and commit to reducing plastic but it's still they've still yet to do it so Mm. remains to be seen but I think that's been a huge marketing moment for me it's really great to see brands really truly tackling plastic and I think that is all thanks to Blue Planet pretty much. David Attenborough is so much to answer for, so much to thank for. Molly, your trend or prediction for 2019? I think that innovation is going to become faster and more reactive. I recently went to Coca-Cola's headquarters in Atlanta and there I got to kind of see their innovation hub and it was interesting to see how they're completely changing the way they're working to become more like a startup. And you also look at PepsiCo, they've also got innovation hubs outside of their businesses and I think that that's going to become an increasingly more important trend for innovation to be faster and also more reactive to keep up with trends. I think that trends are created and die faster than ever before and just to use Coca-Cola again in Coca-Cola Japan they're launching four products a week and those are failing but they're keeping up with the trends and the ones that work and stick they continue with and the ones that fail they care less about. And one of the reasons I think they can afford to fail and potentially fail quite a lot is because they're doing it a lot cheaper. They're doing it through crowdfunding. They're looking at new ways to do innovation so that it can be done cheaper and there won't be this huge cost to investors. Back to you, Ellen. What would you like to see happen next year? Not in the world necessarily. Or, you know, you could add that as well. 
I think we're sensing a common theme here, but what I'd like to see more of is more done to help the environment, especially supermarkets, fast fashion retailers. Um, you know, there's atmospheric levels of carbon dioxide. Um, the water footprint of clothing in use is growing. Hundreds of thousands of tons of clothes end up in household waste every year. And there is undoubtedly a link between all these fast fashion players, which we are all guilty of buying from and funding their businesses like ASOS, Misguided, Boohoo. But I would like to see them step up and take more responsibility, perhaps realise their contribution to this throwaway fashion industry and hopefully even just slow down their production slightly. Um, and again, supermarkets, lots of movement there from, you know, getting rid of single-use plastic bags. Tesco is trying to reduce its packaging. You've got Waitrose committing to making packaging out of recyclable plant vines. Um, I think it's tomato vines. I just think there's so much more that can be done. I think good, good steps and good progress, but we need a lot more to be done. You're right, it is a theme. And I'm going to ask you the same question, perhaps in a slightly different way that I asked before. Is this going to be done if customers are knocking on the door demanding that it happens? Because the very nature of fast fashion, for example, is about keeping... Actually, I'm talking like an expert. I know very little about it. But I would wager that it's about supply chains being super fast, operating costs and therefore margins operating costs being low and margins being very high in order to actually get these designs to people in a quick way at a very cheap price now by nature that doesn't allow for a great deal of extra cost to be incurred to be mindful of what impacts they're having on the planet so is there an inherent contradiction Yes. So <laughs> obviously their business models work because they are supply and demand. But when I spoke to Miss Guided earlier early this year, they said they can get something to market, so from design and then delivered within two weeks, which is just insane um, speed. And I think the only thing that's going to curb, curb this negative impact is if consumer demand decreases which I actually think we're going to see as we go forward because, again, I think people are waking up to the fact that these businesses are doing harm to the environment. I will take your word for that. I'm mildly cynical about people's desire for cheap stuff quickly. and I'm not sure whether or not that's going to happen next year, but I'm hopeful that it will happen over time. I think over time. I, th I think we're going to see it start to happen sooner than people think. Molly? I was just going to say I agree. Um, I think if you read a lot of... I'm, I'm, if you read a lot of what fashion journalists are writing about, they're writing about sustainable fashion, they're writing about the fact that they want to be shopping more vintage, they want, they're want. they aware of the damaging effects. I think that the theme of environment that we've been talking about is one that's felt throughout pretty much every industry, and I think that individuals within those industries are more and more aware of their impact. So I was just going to say I agree with you. I think even on an anecdotal level, like my friends and I are much more conscious mm. of the our environmental impact. That being said, we then also did buy tons of tinsel this Christmas. So. 
swings and roundabouts. But. I think we're also perhaps going to see a boom in, I know we've written about this a little bit, the reselling economy, mm. so secondhand sites, and also charity shops. So I feel like this is a great chance for charity shops to really, you know, push themselves and, and get at the forefront of the... Sticking with you, Ellen, what would you want to see the back of in 2019? What do you want to confine to marketing's Room 101? This is an easy one because it has been a gripe of mine for a long time and I've written about it before. I'm going to say bravery and brave brands and brave awards, brave conferences. I even saw the other day a braveometer where you could answer. I went to do it because I thought it would be funny, but then 36 questions, I was did not have the time to do but you can answer these questions and then discover what kind of brave you are and what kind of brave marketer you are and I just think it trivializes this notion of bravery and it's exhausting and I don't even know what it means anymore but think of KFC's FCK campaign was nominated for a brave award it's just I don't think that's brave I think it's good creative I think it's good advertising is doing good business and then there was another campaign from Harvey's which said it was going to unveil its bravest sofa collection yet (laughs) it's just your sofa collection's not brave it's a sofa even in terms of diversity and more inclusive advertising I don't think that should be called brave I think that should be a given it's necessary it's expected people should just be doing it I think calling it brave still makes it it feel like this very sort of risk-taking thing um, that only the riskier brands are doing, but I just, I think it should be, you know, completely normalised. We're just warming up, and you can, dear listener, perhaps hear how impassioned Ellen was there by throwing all her notes on the floor. <laughs> I did throw my notes in the floor with my uh, my waving hands. Um, and also, advertising, you should be testing things and taking risks. I don't think that's bravery. I mean, it's what you need to do to be innovative and push things forward and make sure that, you know, you're keeping up with with the world. Molly, to you, what would you like to see happen in 2019? Um, I want to see more done in terms of diversity with people of colour, especially in the beauty industry. It's 70% of black and Asian women in the UK don't feel like the high street caters for them. 42.7% of beauty sales growth has come from niche labels. And I think that you can also tell that with advertising. There's been a lot of, well, a lot, but enough backlash in terms of adverts for beauty industries. Becca Cosmetics, which is this huge brand in America, used four different models for an advert to show off different skin foundation ranges, but edited one in a way that they even admitted missed the mark and made their, that person, that model skin darker. And there are at least two other cases of this happening with with one L'Oreal beauty brand in Korea and another smaller brand called Colourpop. And I just think that it's time that brands, kind of on the similar vein of Ellen, it's time that brands took a step up and said that this isn't something that they're doing that's extra. They should have a range of skin shades for everyone. They should be having darker skin ranges on those models. It shouldn't be seen as something extra that they're doing or because they're an ex- they're a good brand. It should be just the given. And I mean, it hasn't been all bad. L- literally last week, P&G bought a beauty startup, Walker & Company, which is catered to people of colour. And, you know, Rihanna's Fenty Beauty and UK MDM Flow are both very inclusive brands and they're going from strength to strength. So there's also a real business case for there. 
And I think that's probably what will be realised, if nothing else, the fact that there is a huge business opportunity in this particular area. I thought P&G's move last week was really interesting, uh, and it um, and it makes both your points absolutely. Thank you. So what would you want to see the back of? What do you want to see confined to the dustbin of marketing history? I want to see the end to these kind of un-PC shock tactics. I'm fed up of seeing adverts where they're kind of trying to outrage people on Twitter or go against the snowflake generation. I think it's boring, I think it's old, and I just really don't find it very interesting. You look at Brewdog with their... um, pink girl for beer I understand that it was meant to highlight a good cause but I just thought it was kind of a bit lame really and just it showed a real lack of knowledge of their consumers and then there was GBK they also did an advert where they were going around curry houses saying to in local Indian curry houses you know we're the ones who do the real Indian food and they had to take it down and I just think it's boring and it's old and it just shows a lack of knowledge of their consumers and it's just I just really would love to see the back of. Now, mine, I've cheated, I admit. I've put both moments, predictions, what I would like to see happen, what I would like to see the back of together, so bear with me. Uh, My moment of the year is the acronym that uh, has been missing from this overview of 2018, and that's GDPR, which (laughs) you're both laughing (laughs) <laughs> Why is that your moment of Russell? the first thing that comes to mind. I'm <laughs> bear not with me. <laughs> bear with me. No, well, that's the thing. I mean, GDPR, for somebody who's been around writing about these things for some years, I stress, was coming, 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 coming. And then it was here in May. And there was a huge amount of build-up to it, huge amount of expectation. On May the 25th, I think it was, it was supposed to be a new dawn breaking in marketing an era that was supposed to usher in a new relationship and a new way of capturing and processing and using data exclusively for the good of the customer a new value exchange where the customer gave a little and got a bunch of worth back in return of course that's not necessarily happened indeed despite the fact that i've said it was a moment i'm not sure how much is actually change what i do see and i'm sure you guys do as well is a lot more explicit and transparent requests for my consent and a lot more warnings that i have to approve and accept and agree to when i go to any particular website so i think the reality is that the jury's out on the true impact of gdpr i think we're probably waiting for a precedent setting ruling from the Information Commission's office, so brands can take their lead and companies can take their lead as to what actually has changed. But until that, I'm not entirely sure. What I would like to see GDPR do is for people to stop and think about collecting, capturing and processing data in the first place. There's been an obsession with it, for years and years collecting it and making decisions based on it and sometimes enslaved by the data it would if you process less you have a lot less to worry about for one thing and more than that it might make you more cerebral and more attuned to what people actually want if you're collecting less data 
rather than what the numbers actually tell you. I think what marketers out there need to do more of is take time to observe, to talk to colleagues, to walk the halls and the streets. Stop thinking of customer centricity as a data capture and process exercise and more of a people one. Less data, more insight in short. Now, we caught up with two of our contributors earlier on this week, Mark Ritson and Helen Edwards, to find out what their moments and mishaps of 2018 were and indeed what they're looking for from 2019. Helen, your marketing moment of 2018. Uh, so I guess for me that that moment would c- has come very late in the year, which is the news that both uh, Paul Polman and Keith Weed are stepping down from Unilever. And I think they've just been so significant for the marketing industry um, because in, in different ways, both of them have for so long led the way and I think raised the bar for marketing. Uh, Paul Polman, I think, has shown us via sustainability what purpose really means. Um, and that first and foremost, it exists because it's the right thing to do. And that it's also fundamentally about employees as well as a commercial return. It's about getting and attracting uh, the right people. Um, and purpose is so often criticised for not being commercial, uh, but it can affect consumer behaviour, but it's not always about that. And I think that's what the sustainability initiative that Paul Pullman put in 10 years ago now has, has always been about at Unilever. Um, and then Keith Weed, I think, again, has led brands like, you know, Marmite, Dove and Noor. And, and Unilever in general through its marketing continues to show the way for uh, best practice brand building. Uh, and they build brands with me- real meaning, real focus and a long-term commitment. And it will, be a, it will be sad to see them both go. So what significance does two big heavy hitters leaving at the same time have on Unilever as a business? Well, I think for most businesses, it would be very significant. But for Unilever, they've always been been very good and very strong on promoting internal talent and building internal talent. So I think the replacement for Paul Pullman, Alan Jope, has been there his entire career. Uh, And who knows who will be Keith Weed's replacement, but I suspect it will be internal as well. And because I think, you know, particularly if you look at their brands, they've got strong, focused, uh, committed brands. And, And I think... That, that is such a great legacy for any marketer to pick up and then continue to build and refresh. So it will have an impact, but whether the impact will be as big as it could be in other companies, I, I doubt that. Okay, looking forward then to next year. What's your prediction or a trend, if you like, for 2019? I think we're going to continue to see the growth of direct-to-consumer um, and that's not just in new, in new brands launching that are just focused direct consumer brands, but actually existing companies, existing brands who traditionally operate via a retail customer, uh, going direct to consumer themselves and, and building that expertise. And I think all of that means actually that from the customer's point of view, customer experience will get better. Uh, it's pretty shocking, particularly in some service industries, but I think in general that the added competition, the added imagination that new direct-to-consumer brands bring will mean that customer experience will get better. And finally, what's the thing you would like to see happen, not necessarily that you expect it, but that you would like to see happen in marketing next year? 
Uh, well, this is completely inwardly focused. And what I would really like is for our discipline, discipline, so the discipline of marketing, to be less combative, less single concept focused, and develop a much more collegiate view of the world and a much more uh, developed understanding around how the various marketing concepts, whether they're behavioral economics or brand affinity or, uh, you know, the idea of fame, which comes from Ehrenberg Bass, all fit together and work together as a whole instead of sort of slugging it out between each different concept. A nice uplifting, why can't we all just work together for the common good of marketing way to finish. Thank you, Helen. Thank you. Mark, your marketing moment of the year. I think, Russell, I would have to go with kind of a double moment, which was Martin sort of walking away or getting pushed or being squeezed out of WPP. And then Mark Reed's reorganisation of it. I think of all the things that happened this year, I mean, I think WPP carries such enormous history and influence that you have to point to that as being perhaps the most important uh, moment. And I know I'm stretching a sort of six-month gap between Sorrel getting pushed and and, and Mark Reed sort of reorganising, but I think that was it. And what do you make of what Mark Reed's done, said... plans for WPP since he took over? I think it's a really interesting play. I mean, I, I, first of all, I think he's tremendously attractive in the sense that he seems to get a great write-up from everyone as being, A, very decent and B, incredibly smart. But I suspect it might be, might be an impossible mission. And I think there's an interesting debate about the sequencing with which he's combining agencies together. He sort of leads to the digital agency and then locks on a more traditional heritage agency on the back. And I think that's got a lot of people's backs up. But to be fair, you know, is JWT, it's the brand we all remember as being a powerhouse, but has it been for a long time? And it's a very interesting question. Martin Sorrell's point is, in the developing marketing world, places like India, it's still a huge brand. And for old cobbers like me, it's still it's a brand that maybe could have been fixed. But you've got to, you've got to give Mark Reed his chance. So I suspect it's mission impossible. But let's see. Let's see. Okay. Your prediction for 2019. What do you think is going to happen? I think Facebook are going to buy Netflix. For real? For real. I think they are. I think they are for two reasons. I think Facebook need a way to get onto TV. Amazon have a good access with Prime, obviously Google have YouTube, and as we move towards the digitization of TV and it becoming just a series of apps, whether it's ITV or BBC or Prime or YouTube, Facebook don't have a play there. You know, Instagram is a brilliant acquisition in the sense that it gives them a whole new life, but it doesn't give them any access to TV at all either. So my money would be on the acquisition of Netflix from that point of view. They have certainly the power and heft to do it. On the, on the Netflix side, Netflix were never meant to continue as a separate company. They're burning cash. They don't have any way to survive into the indefinite future on their own. So they always plan to get acquired. If you look at their debt and the way they're raising more money, there's no way they're sustainable. This is a point missed by most people in love with Netflix is a wonderful service. It is. It's an amazing service with $18 billion of content commitments. 
and a ticket price that just won't pay for that. So I think that that's the one that makes the most sense. And let's fast forward to instant analysis of something that hasn't actually happened yet. But if that did happen, what opportunities, challenges, headaches might that give the marketing world, do you think? Well, the obvious one is, I think, what what they'll what Facebook might do with advertising. So I think the whole purpose of acquiring something like Netflix would be to use it not just for information, but also as a as a source of advertising. So I suspect that's the first question. Is it really capable of taking advertising as many people think it is? And then the second question is, can uh, Facebook do that without tinging and destroying the reputation Netflix, given their brand, is, to say the least, a little toxic at the moment? I mean, if you look at Microsoft's acquisition of LinkedIn, it's kind of textbook in the sense that there was a synergy there, and then Microsoft have left LinkedIn alone to get on with it. And everything is you know, business as usual with extra scale and synergy. Is that possible for Instagram to do that? Sorry, for Facebook to do that, given they carry such they have such a dark shadow at the moment? Would that turn people off Netflix? Finally, what would you like to see happen? Or conversely, what would you like to see the back of? Perhaps putting it a different way in 2019. I think I'll go back to Mark Reed and. Um, his, one of these sort of side announcements when he was going through the restructuring of WPP was that he banned the word digital from his agencies. And I think, you know, I think that would be a very healthy thing. Not not to lose the power of you know, digital media, but to stop all this malarkey where we keep talking about it as if it's different from everything else. It's clearly not. So I think just getting rid of digital, digital marketers, digital media digital measurement, digital training, digital everything, that would be awesome. I'd mean, like that to happen straight away. And that's it. Thanks to Ellen and Molly, Helen and Mark, and the rest of the Marketing Week editorial team and extended family. You have been listening to Marketing Week Explores, and remember you can subscribe to Marketing Week Explores and our other podcast, Marketing Week Meets, on iTunes and SoundCloud, where you can also listen to all previous episodes. Until next time, until next year, goodbye.